0: This is Melissa Stewart welcoming you to an episode of Beyond Brave podcast. Beyond Brave is a chance for us to learn from each other. It's also a time to be courageous by sharing ideas, especially those ideas that are initially less than perfect in the classroom. Lastly, it's a chance to be brave together by boldly embracing a culture of pedagogical inquiry. I would like to welcome Tristan Bott. Tristan is the Director of Education for Living with Change. Living with Change is an organization that advocates, raises awareness, and provides education about lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, and queer issues. Tristan started their career after earning a bachelor's in psychology and women's gender and sexuality studies, then a master's in women's gender and sexuality studies. Her career started as the project coordinator of the LGBTQ Center at the University of Cincinnati, followed by the founding director at the LGBTQ Center at IUPUI. Part of Tristan's work with Living with Change is providing professional learning to school personnel. Not only does this work provide a foundational understanding of LGBTQ issues, but it's also an avenue into intersectionality. And the work schools are doing in the area of equity. Welcome, Tristan. Hello. If you're listening right now, you may have noticed that I used the pronoun there. You may have heard that as a mistake, but it was intentional. So let's start with some basics. What are your preferred pronouns?
1: So my pronouns are they, them, there.
0: My pronouns are she, her, and hers. Can you share why you use those pronouns?
1: I use they, them, there because I don't identify as a man or a woman. I identify in non-binary space uh, underneath the trans umbrella. So I actually identify as genderqueer.
0: So I have some additional questions about pronouns, but before we jump into it, let's start at the very beginning. What prompted you to be involved in this type of work?
1: I really became very passionate about it while I was an undergrad, advocating for starting a center at my own undergrad institution at University of Cincinnati. And I was like, wow, I'm, I'm really good at this. And I took a human sexuality class and I had a professor that kind of cultivated the brilliance. And he was like, get out there and teach, get out there and teach. And kept letting me teach part of his class. And mm-hmm. I just loved it hmm yeah.
0: So we should just give a shout out. Um, Tristan and I have someone in common who is Dr. James Kishorek, and he both he has been instrumental in both of our, in our lives. So shout out to Dr. K. <laughs> I
1: call him my adopted dad. <laughs> there
0: you go. So as a school district, we're doing a lot of work in equity and have used the protocol of Glenn Singleton's Courageous Conversation. We're going to talk about intersectionality later, But let me just use a powerful phrase from that work and say, thank you for sharing your truth. When I was first introduced to these concepts, I had to and still have to think really hard about those initials and saying them correctly. And it's because I care about it and I want to be as respectful as possible. So I sometimes say to myself, well, what happens if I say them and I miss a letter or I don't understand each of those terms completely? So can you give us a basic understanding of those terms and a little advice for anybody who's new to using those terms?
1: So when we talk about LGBTQ+, plus, everyone stumbles over it at first. It's, it's a mouthful, it really is. I used to tease my students in, at IUPUI and say, we should just be the Hey You Do You Boo Center. <laughs> uh, because we kept wanting to include everyone, and we have to recognize that. Lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender... And then queer has been reclaimed by this younger generation. This started actually quite a while ago in in the 1990s, uh, but we're just now kind of catching on to it. So, and then you've got P-I-A-A, and the P stands for pansexual, also another new term. It does not, in fact, mean that I'm attracted to pots and pans. It actually just shows that you're attracted to the entire spectrum. And then the I is for intersex, and the A is for asexual, and the other
0: A is for ally. I- have to say that I like the plus and I like what all of those stand for because I like to think that I try to be as much of an ally as I can. And part of being an ally for me through the help of you is knowing that I don't always know. And so it is seeking to be ever-involving in this process and ever-learning so that I can say, hey, I don't know, but I want to know, so I'm going to reach out to someone who does know, which for me often is you. So I'm appreciative of that. Why do you think schools need information about these concepts? I get some schools who are like, we don't have any LGBTQ plus students. Not possible, right? Not possible. Not possible.
1: And we're finding there's a study from higher ed that showed our incoming uh, students, about 9,000 of them. 20% 20% identified as LGBTQ+, and another 26 identified as trans. Mm. Um, and that's your incoming students. They were 18 to, I think, 25. Mm-hmm. Um, they did this, and 9,000 is a pretty significant number to find that. So I guarantee you, you have students there. Now is your culture one in which they feel safe coming out? or showing themselves. Everyone's got LGBTQ plus students and I'm seeing
0: kiddos coming out at four years old. One of the things that I've been thinking a lot about is when we are speaking to students and we're using binary terms a lot. So for example, really common in schools to say boys line up here, girls line up here. And when we're using terms like that, I often think, how am I influencing students who might be thinking of themselves as trans or somewhere along that spectrum. And they don't even know it yet or realize it yet. And and still I'm making an impression on them. But even if it's not anybody in that class, they will eventually know somebody. And so it's about like the influence that we're having at an early age that just embraces inclusion. So talk about that a little bit. So One really great thing.
1: Is simply saying, instead of doing the, hey, boys in this line, girls in this line, why don't you do, who likes cheeseburgers? Who likes Mm -hmm. pizza? Who's a cat person? Who's a dog Mm -hmm. person? And you get them to line up that way Mm -hmm. and start looking at your classrooms and visually seeing, is there a representation of brown people, black people, people with disabilities on any kind of spectrum? And chatting about that instead of being one uh,
0: lesson on X, Y, and Z integrated. I've heard you share some staggering statistics about young people who fall within the category of LGBTQ+. In almost every school's vision or mission, there is some reference to the word all, meaning all students will, whatever, all students will achieve, all students will learn, all students will be valued, whatever it is, all. And I have come to think carefully about that word all and try to remember the mantra of all means all all means all, all of the time. So when I heard some of those statistics, it made me think carefully about my practices with students and how I can stay true to that meaning of all means all. So I would love for you to share some of those statistics with this greater group. You'll see it on some of our info sessions. You'll see the 50% rate
1: for trans individuals um, attempting suicide in their lifetime. Staggering. And I've got to look at our students and go, In most spaces, you're going to see about 3% are going to be trans or gender non-conforming, gender non-binary in some way. To me, 50% is too much. And Mm -hmm. I usually can get people to come to a common ground and going, we don't want kids to commit suicide. We don't want kids to be depressed or anxious or any of those things. And it's interesting you say that. I love that you said all because a lot of times when I'm trying to interact with educators on Twitter, I'm like, hashtag, adapt, innovate, create equity. For all, mm-hmm. and I continue to say that because I see that in a lot of the mission, the vision, the diversity statements, and I'm like, what are what are we thinking when we say that? And I love that you're hitting on that because you're right. We need to start with
0: with that one child that you don't expect and encompass everyone. And when I also think about all needs all, and I think about that that statistic of of 50%. And I don't know anyone who is in education who doesn't hear that. And the first time you hear it, it just takes your breath away. In my mind, I think of students' faces and I think about 50% and it just takes my breath away. So I also think about all means all, meaning that no matter what happens when a school suffers the tragedy of a suicide, it does affect all. So when I also think about classrooms and what we're doing in classrooms to make sure they all feel inclusive. It's the idea that all of this work is beneficial for all students in the long run. What do you think are some of the greatest obstacles for schools to adopt more inclusive practices related to LGBTQ plus issues?
1: It's a scary topic. As soon as I walk into a room, I usually get that people are like, oh no, we're going to talk about this. Mm -hmm. And I think when you don't meet people where they're at, and build their trust and then move them into it, Mm -hmm. we kind of fail them, especially with this topic, because it's scary. And I think that with the curriculum that we have, we do a pretty good job of that, meeting people where they're at, moving them along, and not just doing trainings and walking away and like, oh, we gave you the tools, see you later, but then following up, Mm -hmm. coming into the classroom, seeing if you need help with your curriculum or classroom management or anything that the child might need, the student might need.
0: Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Recently, I was part of a committee working on a through K-12 character education program. Part of that cultural education program includes cultural intelligence. And a parent, who just is a wonderful resource to have on that committee, asked how students were represented in literature that allowed every student to see themselves in text. And then specifically referenced students who identify in some way with LGBTQ+, or families. And unfortunately, I could not give a specific answer. I could not think of a time that said, oh, no matter what, every child sees this in this way, period. And I just realized that my own depth of knowledge of those resources is really shallow so help me out. What resources should I be considering?
1: Glisten always has great references to this stuff. We also, on our website, uh, livingwithchange.org, we put resources up there that'll click to Glisten. That'll, we even have a book list, mm. um, age-appropriate book list. Mm-hmm. So I'm thinking even in kindergarten, there's a great book called The Red Crayon mm. um, and talks about the red crayon that actually draws blue because uh, it's a trans mm-hmm. crayon, right? Oh, like you're able to see, yeah yeah, 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 yeah. You might look different on the outside than who you really are mm-hmm. kind of thing. Um, so there are resources out there. I think that this is something that seems to be kind of new, but this is just the tip of the iceberg when we start looking at how many children between the ages of four and 24 are coming out and going to stay out because visibility is out there and they feel safer. And it's actually a good thing that they feel safe in your school to be able to come
0: out. You mentioned GLSEN. Mm -hmm. So let's make sure everybody knows who GLSEN is. It's the Gay and Lesbian Straight
1: Education Network. And there's a GLSEN Greater Cincinnati here as well. Uh, Um, They do wonderful work. I love to see when uh, schools have gay-straight alliances or gender and sexuality alliances, Um, even in middle schools. It's a great thing to see. There's actually some great research out of British Columbia, Canada, out of 2008 that said you actually drop the suicide rate of cisgender straight boys when you have GSAs in your school. Because we got to be thinking like they're not adhering to gender roles sometimes. And so then they're bullied for that. But when you have this education going on in these safer spaces, it helps all students feel comfortable with
0: themselves. When we first had you come to the district, we started with a small group. So it was just our counseling group, and it was so dynamic, and it was so well-received that we said, okay, then let's start with the principal group. So that was next. Principal group, you got, I don't remember if you know this, Tristan, you got done, and you didn't even get to take a breath, and everybody was like, get out your calendar when are you coming back. I mean, it was that kind of fast of we've got to spread this information. And we knew that at that moment, we were pretty much a sponge. Like, we didn't have a lot of information, and we needed it. That has then grown to every faculty has had it, and every bus driver has had it, and we've already booked your time for our new teachers in September of next year. And I think the thing that's amazing about that is I would love for you to share, that is a wide group of people with very wide backgrounds and experiences. Mm -hmm. Um, This wasn't a counselor trying to advocate for me to come in. This wasn't one
1: Poor math teacher who had met me at something trying to bring me in. You made a cultural shift. I'm going to go to Brene Brown right now. I think that vulnerable leadership is something that a lot of principals and superintendents really need to take to
0: heart. The other thing that I think that has happened is I've heard you say this multiple times when you are giving some professional learning to all of us. You say that you are not trying to change people's minds related to political viewpoints, religion, or beliefs. So explain that differentiation.
1: So I love that we're trying to look at EQ or empathy with children and with our learners. And, but I would also push back and say you can't teach empathy. Um, science will tell us it's something that we kind of have and you can cultivate empathy. So I have to look at teaching and educating in a way that like even someone who's a zero on the scale. So you got to think also the autism spectrum. Mm-hmm. Um, I need to give them the tools to be able to do the right thing mm. to understand that. Now, I can bring in empathy and pull people in as well. You have to meet the person where they're at and how they're going to learn that. And also, I can meet anyone at the table and be like, we don't have to change belief systems, politics, or religion. We can have a common ground of we don't want individuals killing themselves. Now, what can right. we do to like further that? And so, so some people, you can cultivate the empathy. Other people, I just need you to give the tools to be respectful. Mm-hmm. And that sounds really basic, but I think it's something we forget about in our adult lives of how to respect one another and give each other space and grace to learn.
0: I have been a big proponent for many years that one of the key foundations to a student reaching their potential in the classroom is safety. And we often think about safety, about can you maneuver around the environment, but I think more so it's about emotional and social safety. No child's going to take a big academic risk if they don't feel like they can fail and it be safe. And so I know that that is embedded in a lot of the curriculums. For example, the primary and elementary use something called uh, responsive classroom and social thinking that welcomes that a lot. And I see teachers at the middle school and high school also work that in by having individual relationships with students. And so I think that your work is highly connected to that as well as connected to the state in Ohio talking about the importance of SEL, social emotional learning, which is part of their strategic plan as well. That idea that you can't take just take care of the academic child, you have to take care of the whole child. What's one small step you think a school can take to move towards inclusive practices?
1: I think some of it is looking at your policies, your non-discrimination policy, your diversity statement. If you have one, you need to get one. I think some of that on top of getting the education, doing the trainings, but then also you got to have that policy to step back and go... This is where we're at, and this is the
0: culture that we've set based off of this. Or we're still doing X, Y, and Z because that's the school that we want to be. What's one small step a classroom teacher can take towards inclusive practices because they often don't have control over policy? I think some of that is stepping back and
1: seeing, am I seeing every identity in this room in some way? I have a great activity that I actually want to work with you all on eventually in a workshop. Where you take that, and before you do any kind of curriculum, any kind of program, you make sure that these identities are seen in that, and they're little cards that you lay out, and we make sure that that's there. So even looking at something I just got on a Twitter dialogue about access for parents when you do stuff at the end of May, right, and it's going during the day and people work, and I'm like, are we thinking about access for individuals on the autism spectrum? Are we thinking about access for individuals who can't get out of their homes? Are we recording this stuff? Are we using a hashtag to do a back channel so people can interact back and forth and have some education around it? We have so much technology now, but we're still like, show up to this program in your physical form and not offering Mm -hmm. other avenues for Mm -hmm. this. So even something like looking at that, I think for classroom curriculum and management, just taking a step back and having other people at the table, I guarantee you that there's so many national or... Fortune 500 companies that don't have trans people at the table. And so mm-hmm. they're coming out with this stuff, but not actually asking anyone who has that identity or mm-hmm. taking the time. I'm still finding the term transgendered in
0: nursing books that just came out in oh. 2018. Let's talk about how that is not the most sensitive or appropriate way to to use that term. Share that with us. Right. So it's trans
1: or transgender. But don't put the ED on at the end. Transgender did not happen to me. I am transgender.
0: That's such a good point. And again, I'm so appreciative of that. Let's go back to the beginning. In your introduction, I used the pronoun them. What do you think is the impact of pronouns? I think it's
1: similar to, and I talk about this in workshops, it's similar to someone's name. I don't assume people's names and everyone will be like, well, pronouns are just so hard to remember all these pronouns. Names are hard to remember too. I wouldn't be able to come up with an exhaustive list and I don't look at people and go... I can't remember that. You're just gonna be Mary.
0: Um, so yeah. we should
1: mm-hmm. we shouldn't mm-hmm. do that with pronouns either. I do get a lot of pushback, especially
0: about oh, the they, c- them, there. It's a grammar thing. Yeah.
1: yeah, it is. And I'm just I just want to look at them and I'm like, really? Are we in that fixed mindset where nothing mm. changes? Mm-hmm. Uh, we're highly intelligent. We can look at symbols and context and understand it. Also, they, them, there's been approved since 2015 for singular use, um, and we've used it since before the 1700s. And if it's hard to remember, just think of me as twins. I'm Tristan and T. When
0: you and I have talked about that as well, because I was one of those people that I wanted to be super respectful, and for me that meant making sure I was using it in the right way. So you were very kind and offered a conversation with me about that. You had examples at times that we all use plurals when we're talking about an individual them.
1: So if you and I were sitting here and someone had left their AirPods here, right? Ooh, those aren't mine. Are those yours? Oh, well, they're going to be back for them. Whoever owns these, they're going to want them. Uh, These are expensive. They're going to be back here looking for it, tracing their steps. It's not three people that own these AirPods. It's one person. We do this all the time. And when I start giving that example, I see people going, oh, yeah. Yeah.
0: Let's talk about intersectionalities. Our district has been engaged in work related to equity. That started because we recognized that we had an achievement gap in this district that was very similar to the achievement gap that exists across the United States. That was especially true in how our African-American boys were achieving in comparison to the school as a whole. So we started down this work and we've been really intentionally talking about race, and that's been for a few years. And when we were introduced to your work, I immediately recognized how it was very connected and you also addressed intersectionality. Talk to us a little bit about what is the definition of intersectionality and how does it play a part in what you're doing?
1: So I noticed when some individuals will explain it, they, they believe it's just social identities coming in that make up the person. And what they often forget is it's the larger system and it's the larger system of oppression playing in that. So we have to give credit to Kimberly Crenshaw, who's a fantastic black feminist theorist who actually came up with it. She created the term intersectionality. She has a great TED talk. When we look at this, we can look at it like the wage gap. I give that example in training. I'm like, you know, you have a dollar to women make 77 cents. We all hear this. But then when I start saying, well, actually, black women make 65 cents and Latinas make 54 cents. And we start playing that into, and then I go, and black men actually make less than black women. We see how that's nuanced. Male privilege doesn't even save black men. And so we have to look at it and go, it's, it's nuanced, and there are ways in which it shifts. Some people may have power at certain points and then not at others, right? Mm-hmm. You as a woman at times don't have certain power mm-hmm. or privilege, mm-hmm. but you can speak up for someone like me. And I have to look at this, and when we say ally within the LGBTQ+, And people will be like, well, we shouldn't just let allies in. They're just allies. And I go, but you can be an ally for other people within your own community. Because we even need to recognize that my white skin affords me privileges. It does not my trans women of color sisters. And so looking at that and going, and I need to recognize that and be able to stand up and help uplift that voice. Mm -hmm. Um, Because I use that as an example. Don't take over. You're just the Kelly and Michelle to my Beyonce and
0: Destiny's Child. You harmonize, you learn the lyrics, you uplift it, but you don't take over. I might make that a poster and hang it on my wall. I think it's easier to have that conversation with educators because I truly believe educators went into the field to make a positive impact on students. I don't think anybody is ready to turn away a child. If this, If this is what we need to do so that every child in our classroom feels connected and cared for, I think educators are willing to stand up and do that. So it's easier for me to have that conversation in my work life than sometimes it is in other areas of my life.
1: But if you remember when we talk in in some of the workshops, I say, I don't like the golden rule. What's the golden
0: rule? Treat others as you would want to be treated.
1: Right. I like the platinum rule. It's a better medal. And it is treat others as they want to be treated. Mm -hmm. And that takes a little bit of meeting them where they're at Mm -hmm. and understanding how they want to be treated. And if someone says, well, this is just a little too much, I like to push back and say, people should be important enough to us for us to learn that and to understand that. I'll also get individuals to be like, well, I can't can't remember all these letters or I can't remember all of these pronouns. I can't either. I make mistakes. Mm -hmm. You're going to make mistakes. I do LGBTQ plus work. I am trans. I am queer. And I still mess up people's pronouns. I still mess up their chosen authentic names sometimes. I will make a mistake. We all do. And I think that's where we need to look at it and go, it's okay to fail. It's okay to make a mistake. We just have to correct it, own it, and move on. Um, But I think meeting people where they're at sometimes, it's what's important to us. Actually, you accidentally called me she, which happens often. Totally tell me how that happened, and I apologize. So um, in the beginning when you did say she, I kind of looked at you. And then I was like, oh, now you're explaining that you use days." <laughs> I was
0: like, well. So let me just start off by saying I'm sorry that I made that mistake. I think the other part about that is this is a great example of me showing that I'm just a person in growth from my own mistakes. But also it's an example of how I made that mistake. But I hope at least that you don't feel disrespected. You know that I my heart's in the right place. Not
1: at all. And I think the fact that we have a relationship like that, Mm -hmm. I know that space and grace. Like, I know that you're going to mess up. And I often let trans kids know that or trans Mm -hmm. students know, hey,
0: your parents know you as a certain name. They're
1: probably going
0: to mess it up. And you got to give them that space and grace to learn. Yeah. I am so thankful that you were courageous enough to tell me and that we could record this so that other people could hear that we're all in this space of learning and it's okay. If people are interested in learning more from you or Living With Change, how do they get in touch with you? LivingWithChange.org, and we have a resource list. We also have frequently asked questions, and we have something
1: on there that you can ask me anything you want, and I'll get back to you within 72 hours. And then you can follow me on Twitter. um, It has all social media. I'm pretty active on it. And then uh, Living With Change also, we have social media, and we do, like, educational things every day. If you notice, there's kind of a system and calendar to it. We do each letter on a day. So if no. we can figure out which letter we're doing, we just kind of rotate and then have educational pieces about it.
0: Do you want to give your Twitter address so we can find you easy? I think it's TNVOT. I think it is too. Uh, last question. Do you just want to give a little bit of background about living with change and how it came to be? Yeah, actually, I was going to hit on that when we
1: talked about that 50% um, mm-hmm. rate of suicide because our founders, um, Jessica and Chris Chickenelli, that's why they started this. Chris had just read that statistic and he was sitting in children's hospital with his own child. And he was like, I can't live with that. Um, They have the money to be able to take their kid wherever they want, but they were like, we need to give back to Cincinnati. So they started this organization. um, They donated uh, $2 million to Children's Hospital to expand the trans clinic. And to make sure that they had the resources they need because the um, Cincinnati Children's Trans Clinic actually about three and a half years ago was seeing about 350 patients. And they're now seeing over 1,400. Wow. um, Basically with some of the same staff. And so they were like, we've got got to give back. But while we're giving back, we need to make sure that we're making it a safer, more equitable space. So doing trainings here. Mm -hmm. We've done trainings also with like the Cincinnati Fire
0: Department and other nonprofits and organizations as well. How important is that? So that's another shout out. Let's give a shout out to them. Thank you for making a difference in our greater community. We're really appreciative. All right, last thing. Rapid fire questions. Ready? Yes. I believe in you. You can do it. Okay, beach, mountains, or city? Mountains. Um, Dog or cat? Dog. Favorite type of music? Ooh, just about anything, honestly, as long as it's got a good beat. Most comfy article of clothing? Sweats. (laughs) Favorite genre of book?
1: Oh, anything, but I really love to learn. So history,
0: sociology. Fiction for you? Nonfiction. Okay. Recommendation of a book. A website, a podcast, an article.
1: I just got done reading The Science of Evil, which will make you think about empathy in a totally different way. The Science of Evil actually goes into the science behind empathy
0: and how it is set up in our brain. have just the best counseling department around here, and they're going to call you about that idea that you can't teach empathy. I'm just telling you, get ready, get ready. What do you hope that schools that you have worked with say about you? I empower them. I hear empower a lot on my surveys. What do you hope your colleagues say about you? Uh, that I'm kind.
1: What does it mean to you to be an ally? It's an ongoing journey. I think there's levels to it, and I don't think you can call yourself an ally. No matter how much work you do, you have to let the group call you an ally.
0: That very famous question that everybody gets asked, if you were to have a dinner party, who would be at least two people that you would invite to your dinner party? Emily Dickinson and Leo Tolstoy. Excellent. All right. Well, let me just say this in closing. I can't thank you enough for being here and doing this. But more importantly, when we ask the question, what would school say about you, there, Tristan, there is just no words to describe the impact that you've had. And in education, we, we tend to be a very closed society, and we're full of acronyms and hidden norms that are hard to recognize. And for someone to come in with very little understanding, especially of our specific district, and make such an impact just goes to show that you're doing the work that you need to do, and we are so thankful for you. I am filling up your inbox because any school I talk to, any district, you got to call Tristan. This work is so important, and I think that we're better educators because of you. So thank you so much.
1: Thank you. Thank you
0: for saying that. I'm all all embarrassed now. (laughs) That's all right. We'll get you to come back again. (laughs) Thanks.